Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Douglas Wilson. This is episode 303, which is pretty significant, and right in between 302 and 304. So welcome. Good to have you with me, and thanks very much. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the nature of limited government. I want to argue that as far as civics are concerned, the Christian position requires limited government bounded government, restricted government. And the reason for this is only God is unlimited. Uh, As soon as you allow rulers or governors or presidents or kings unlimited government, unlimited reach, you are granting them permission to declare themselves rivals to God. So Christians are told at the tail end of 1 John, the Apostle John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. When you reject the idea of limited, bounded, defined government, when you reject that idea, you are not keeping yourself from idols. So here's another way to come at it. Constitutional limits on the king or parliament or Congress or whoever it, whoever it is, whoever the poobahs are, Putting constitutional limits, bounds, on them is a judicious set of blasphemy laws. Every righteous society needs to have blasphemy laws that are reflective of what the Scripture teaches. But the problem is, and this is a a very great problem, we think of blasphemy laws as what are we going to do when the if Christians finally come into power. What are they going to do about the village atheist who's got that newsletter that he puts out that says scandalous things? What are we going to do? What laws are we going to pass that will circumscribe his behavior and deal with him? How do we deal with that that village atheist? Well, the Lord uh, Jesus taught us that before we try to do eye surgery on other people, getting the speck out of their eye, It is necessary for us to get the plank out of our own eye. And the thing that we have to recognize is that in Scripture, the single greatest offender of um, the, the requirement of God's law to not blaspheme has always been, consistently been, the state. So you have in in Revelation 13, you have the beast. Uh, the the beast of of revelation is the roman empire and the beast is guilty of uttering great blasphemies or you have nebuchadnezzar setting up this that great statue of himself requiring everyone to bow down when the music starts to play and of course shadrach meshach and abednego famously refused to bow down why because they refused to commit the commanded blasphemy Nero, the sixth head of the beast in Revelation, had a statue of himself at his home, something like 90 feet tall. It was ridiculous. And uh, this megalomania is characteristic of men who do not accept the Christian and biblical idea of 
limited government. And so, when Christians come to power, they ought not to turn their attention immediately to the blasphemer on the edge of the village putting out his newsletter. What Christians ought to do coming to power is they ought to think immediately about how to reduce the ability of the state to blaspheme. And they, what they need to do is uh, turn their attention to how do we limit the size of government? How do we reduce the power and authority of this of this government by ninety percent? How how do we bring it down to normal levels? Because you have to understand, Christians are deeply suspicious of blasphemy laws as ordinarily understood, and for good reason. This is because the Lord Jesus the cornerstone of our faith, was railroaded on a blasphemy charge. You remember that when he was asked uh, about his identity and he said, you, are you the son of God? And he said, you have said it. The high priest tore his robes and says to the Sanhedrin, you've heard the blasphemy. So I want to make sure that we, following the wisdom of James Madison, I want to make sure that we give the government enough authority to be able to govern the people. And at the same time, as Madison argued, we have to oblige it to govern itself. So how can, how can we give the government authority to government govern while at the same time restricting it from committing outrages itself? And this is why, is, this is why it's very important for us to recognize that 99 times out of 100, the great blasphemies are going to be committed by the people who have the authority to pass laws against blasphemy. So that is something worth meditating on. Always will be God. So continuing on with episode 303, uh, we've been diligently pursuing our, the study of sin. Now, okay, admittedly, that sounds bad. We want, to, we want to study it so that we can avoid it, and we are calling our pursuit Hamartiology. This week's installment, we come to a word that is used only once in the New Testament. That word is thumomakeo, thumomakeo, and it means highly displeased, highly displeased. And when we say highly displeased, we are talking about the kind of displeasure that kings and their kind can exhibit. So the place where it's used is in Acts chapter 12. There was some sort of political collision, some sort of uh, spat that was going on between Herod on the one hand and the residents of Tyre and Sidon on the other. So, Acts 12 verse 20 says, and Herod was highly displeased, there our word is, Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, aren't they coming to make peace, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. So basically, um, Herod was in control of their food supply of some sort, and they had this spat, and they wanted to make peace. They wanted to make up, and they did it by making friends with Blastus. They got a courtier or somebody in Herod's circle to broker a peace, and it was brokered. It was a very interesting um, a few months ago when Nancy and I were in Israel, we went to Caesarea on the sea, and uh, the amphitheater is there, and the the place where Herod gave his speech is marked there. So you can, and this is the same place where Paul was imprisoned for a couple of years, and so on. So 
the peace deal was brokered, and Herod gives his speech. And this is the setup to the story of Herod's demise. The people he was angry with patched it all up, and then he gave a speech. And so they, flattering him, they shouted out that his speech was simply divine, and because he did not give the credit to God, an angel struck him, and he was eaten by worms, and then he died. It was a very painful death. And it was because he gave a great speech, the people flattered him, shouted out, this is the voice of a God, not a man, and, um, and then he was struck by worms, struck by an angel who afflicted him with worms, and he died. Now, an interesting thing about this, and I think Luke had to know, I, I think this is not an accident, an interesting, about, uh, in, interesting thing about this is that it was the second time in this chapter that an angel struck somebody, and probably in the same place. Peter, earlier in the chapter, Peter had been locked in prison by Herod, and it says that an angel came while he was sleeping and struck him, and the Greek word is patasso, the angel struck him, Patasso, on the side. Uh, I don't know if the angel kicked him or what. He struck him on the side. The end result of this was that Peter went free and so escaped from Herod's clutches. And then after Herod's speech in verse 23, an angel struck him, and the same word is used, Patasso, and he died. So, um, and the fact that Herod was uh, consumed by worms uh, means that he was that indicates possibly where the angel struck him. It may have been struck in, in, on the torso of his body. So you have in Acts chapter 12, an angel of the Lord coming, striking two men. One of them is set free and one of them dies. God don't never He's God. Continuing on with episode 303 of the podcast, uh, the book I'd like to review is um, The Loveliness of Christ by Samuel Rutherford, The Loveliness of Christ. A little bit of history. Samuel Rutherford was, was a Scottish um, minister in the 17th century, and he, he was one of the Scottish commissioners who went to the Westminster Assembly. There is some reason to think that he was the force behind the shorter catechism. Samuel Rutherford was a, a, a man of parts. He was a great genius. But if you were to read, for, for example, if you were to read side by side his great tome on political theory, Lex Rex, and the letters of Samuel Rutherford, Lex Rex is political theory and it's polemical political theory, and the letters of Samuel Rutherford are pastoral in nature, you might have trouble believing that they came from the same person, uh, from the same mind, from the same, well, well. Samuel Rutherford was a very great genius, and it turns out that frequently uh, great geniuses can do more than one thing well. In this case, he could write political theory, hard-headed political uh, Protestant resistance theory, which he does in Lex Rex, and he writes various letters to people of a pastoral nature. And what happened was, a number of years ago, someone went through his letters and culled some of his great images and, and sayings. He has quite a lot about affliction, dealing with affliction, and his images are homey and striking. Uh, when, you know, he, he has one image in there. Uh, well, Rutherford is good. He's, he said one time, when I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for God's choicest wines. 
Affliction, in other words, should be considered to be God's wine cellar. Or when you are overwhelmed uh, by troubles, overwhelmed by affliction, and it's, it's as though God is teaching you to swim in these afflictions, he says in a wonderful little image that God is teaching you to swim, and he has his hand under your chin. So what, what someone did is, uh, and this I think was probably uh, a century or more ago, they went through the letters of Sam Rutherford, and they pulled out basically the choicest quotes and, and put them together in a little book called The Loveliness of Christ. And then a number of decades ago, um, I believe it was when my parents were in the UK, uh, my mother picked up a copy of this little book, The Loveliness of Christ, and they, they loved the book and uh, checked into it, and the book was out of print, and so they got permission to reprint it, and so they did. And so, basically, the, the copy that you can get now is published by Community Christian Ministries, CCM, The Loveliness of Christ, and you're going to—it's a quick read. Maybe you'll spend an hour getting through it. It's a little booklet, but it is really— True blessing. Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. If you if you want brace good solid bracing pastoral counsel on getting through troubles, uh, Rutherford is for you. So, the loveliness of Christ by Samuel Rutherford. <laughs> 